And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is Matt Watson, your host today. Excited to be joining you today with Saul Leal, who is the founder and CEO of One Meta. His company does some really cool stuff with AI, which we're going to talk about today. We're also going to talk about some of the ethical challenges of AI and as we see all sorts of stuff with, uh, you know, crazy government stuff and military stuff and driving car cars that drive themselves like AI and ethics is also a big conversation. We'll, we'll touch. We'll talk about that a little bit today, too. Um, before we get started, I do remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale. Hiring software developers can be difficult. Fullscale can help you do that quickly and affordably. Um, we have a great platform to help you manage that team. Please visit fullscale.io to learn more. Saul, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a great honor. It really is. So I, I'm excited to talk about what your company is doing today. But before we do that, I'd love to learn more about your background. I, I think you're a serial entrepreneur. You've done a few different things, right? Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about highlight of of, of your career that, that got you here before One Meta. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So um, I'm I'm native from South America, uh, been here in the U.S. for about twenty years, and um, one of the things that uh, you know, as I was as I grew up, um, my my family was kind of a military brat. My family moved, through, you know, from different countries, different different places, and I was I was not in the same school since fifth grade. Every year it will change. Oh wow! Yeah. And kind of that adaptability of connecting with people, understanding uh, different cultures, um, came as a as a great kind of personal trait or or behavioral trait to to become an entrepreneur. Because I think at the at the core of entrepreneurship, there's there's a couple of aspects. One of those in my mind is empathy, to really understand the problem and solution, and extrapolate that um, through the second aspect that I believe is it's faith. I, I believe that at the very core of entrepreneurship is not necessarily belief but faith, kind of a stronger knowledge that the sun will come up tomorrow, things will get better. Um, so you when combined the two, the empathy and the the faith, I think those are really strong ingredients for entrepreneurship. And I've been grateful in my life to have a lot of experiences on, on those two aspects. I love it. And I think one of the ways I always describe entrepreneurs is they also have to have a lot of tenacity, yeah. right? And I think that's that's part of that faith of like the drive and like being positive and hoping and praying this is going to work <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, and the tenacity of it. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's having that personal conviction yeah. that it will happen. It's, it's you act, you react at, as it is already there, even though others cannot see it. And that's kind of the core definition of faith. 
Yeah, yeah, you got to you got to think two or three steps ahead too, and drag everybody with you there. <laughs> That's correct. So, t- tell us about some of the other entrepreneurial things you've done before your current company. Excellent. So, um, one one of the companies I, I started uh, fairly young. Um, I built a company and and sold company back in Venezuela. That's that's where I'm from, and. Um, you know, right after you know, graduating as a as an engineer, and those were one of my my first uh, opportunities and of getting acquainted of building a solution, especially a tech sol- a technical solution. And then after after that, I I came I, I went actually on a religious mission for two years uh, to Portugal to learn a new language. And um, I already knew English at the time, but understanding now Spanish and Portuguese and spending two years just serving people provided tons of empathy. And I'll, I see that experience as a foundation for entrepreneurship. Then um, working in corporate America, did a, an MBA, uh, MISN, Master of Information Systems uh, here in the US, worked for a company called Deloitte, and um, then I was uh, offered an interesting position, and that was a great part of my career has been on what people call entrepreneurship. Yeah. Entrepreneurship within um, an organiza- established organization. You're, you're, the beauty of it is that you're still giving a budget, but you have to build it from scratch. So that was also a great training. And um, I, um, the alma mater where I graduated uh, called Brigham uh, Young University, BYU, allowed me to start um, a division called BYU Television. So even though I was an engineer with some background in information system finances, they they helped me. They gave the opportunity to build a full television station in in a few languages. And the idea was simple, just to get it out there for the students. Well, long story short, um, after a few years, we put it in. 27 countries we wow. have 3.8 million households and we put it on 50 million cell phones across the continent wow. and, and that opportunity that's when things were really starting to say oh i'm an entrepreneur i am a builder i can i can work on different aspects um i can work with different teams i can work on product creation i can sell i can i can grow um uh, sustainability, eliminate churn. So that was a great lab to look at the basis of it. So that was uh, you know, one of the uh, most most important aspects of it. Well, and so it, it sounds like you've done a lot of things over your career um, that have to do with language and and communication. Yeah. yeah. So so later in my career, um, I work. I, I build a. a agency, a marketing agency and uh, called The Uncle. And it was a fantastic uh, organization. We did uh, experiential marketing. Uh, we also uh, did a lot of, um, this was kind of the golden days of viral videos. Okay. And we worked with, you know, with hundreds of millions of views. Um, that company was acquired, you know, within a year and a half. And then I, um, I, came to another company, uh, DMC, and again, as an entrepreneur. 
as an entrepreneur, we built um, a project called the Family Share Network. And it was, Matt, it was just fantastic. Uh, we had the opportunity to grow several pages on Facebook from 10 million to 256 million. We became wow. one of the largest publishers in the world in the family category. And we own uh, family today.com that's that's the website but in the other languages about 80 languages we have family.com in 80 languages in english um, at the time was familyshare.com today it's called familytoday.com and building content creating content interpreting content uh, it was uh it was a great time uh to be a publisher uh during those days yeah you really have done a lot of different things with with different languages and stuff so what what then kind of led you to start One Meta? And I guess once you first tell us a little bit about exactly what One Meta does today, and what was kind of the inspiration, like the light bulb moment for One Meta? That's interesting. And uh, you know, I, I the core of entrepreneurship, as I mentioned, empathy, faith, uh, tenacity, which uh, I will quote you on that one in, in the future, uh, Matt. That's that's a very great point. I, I do think it's a consequence of your of your faith, but tenacity is a very important aspect. But there's, as you go through that journey of being an entrepreneur, and that was my case, how one minute started was we had a, a piece of software that we built to create uh, one-to-many meetings at scale. So a Zoom meeting, for instance, after the pandemic, we, we all know, you know how these grew in, 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 in the world of technology and that industry really increased on uh, web RTC events, the the maximum amount of people you can get there is about three to five thousand because of the architecture. We built a technology that allowed over a hundred thousand people to be connected on an event. So oh, wow, and that was that is a fantastic piece of technology. As Sam having connections with potential clients and discussions, they realize that after a thousand people, language was a challenge. And as, makes as, sense. And as soon as I saw that problem, it's like, oh, I can solve that. You know, as, as any entrepreneur uh, will say, oh, I can solve that. I have some experience on languages. Um, and as we build, um, start building that engine, it start realizing some of the challenges with AI. So at the time, this is about two years ago, we connected with uh, through Microsoft, we connected with a company and a service uh, called um, OpenAI. This is over two years ago, right? And and this was at the very beginning um, of the of the phases of what we know now as a ChatGPT. And as we start connecting and looking, and Microsoft being an incredible partner of ours from the very beginning, as we are putting all those together, we're seeing oh, there's more to the model to the architecture than just the AI model. The AI models were extremely strong. You have to do a lot of training. We provide some proprietary and patents on how you train it. That became really, really strong, but we realized it's not only about the, the AI model. There's a pre-AI work that needs to happen, a post-AI work, work that needs to happen. Um, so we start working, let me give you an example, noise cancellation. Right. Voice isolation, which is actually identifying who's the speaker, detaching it from the background, and increasing the resolution of the sound. 
And as we start working on all of those aspects in that architecture, we saw an increase on accuracy on transcription from 92% to 97%. And it was consistent. This look, go ahead. Well, so when you originally started this, was it you had already built a software that was for these large events? Like you'd already built that software before you started doing the language part of it? Correct. Okay. So were what kind of events were those that would have like 100,000 people? Uh, good question. Um, there are several uh, of those, but uh, I was... Um, I was looking into um, multi-level marketing or direct marketing companies. Okay. So specifically, um, you know, companies like uh, Nuskin or doTERRA or Amway, where they have distributors and they want to connect from all over the world. They have millions of individuals who want to get that in, in one session. Okay. Pharmaceutical industry. Um, where they have, again, tens of thousands, 40,000, 60,000 doctors across the world. They want to disseminate a specific type of information. Yeah, makes total sense. And these organizations are not only massive, but they need a secure system to do so. So that was kind of the niche I was going to. Well, I built this technology. I was going kind of a, in a rabbit hole with those. But as I built this pre-AI and post-AI architecture, I put it, and they start presenting it to people. And this is what's kind of the aha moment, Matt. People start saying, oh, we, we want to buy the product. We like the whole architecture, the events. But this little feature that you have on interpretation and translation, it's so fast. It's so incredible. Can we buy that today? Can, can we get this tomorrow? Like, like, we'll do a contract. We like everything. But can we get this today? Like, we'll use it today. And Matt, that's starting happening one meeting, two meetings, three meetings, four meetings, five meetings, six meetings. And that's when I start realizing that we have something very magical. Then we took it to Microsoft engineers and they freaked out. They say, how is it that you're using someone else's model on other servers and you're faster and more accurate than, than us? using it directly. So then I went to other organizations at that level and their feedback was the same. And that's when we realized we have something very, very special. And then we start building a whole architecture of, okay, how do we go to the market? How do you create a category through this? And we have changed kind of our, our mission and vision throughout. At the beginning, we thought that, oh, we're probably our translation company. Or interpretation then we say oh no we're much more larger as we work with hospitals we start seeing that the budget of translation was going to the doctor but when we provide our service because it's a lower budget now the consumption of translation and interpretation was going to the nurse it was going to the cna and they saw oh the, the need is much more larger it just has been constrained by the budgets then and we and then we say okay we're in the multilingual environment we enable multilingual conversations. We're increasing that market. And after a few months, we realize that much more than that. I'll, I'll talk more into it. But uh, ultimately, we are in the understanding business. So let, so let me ask you this. Is the, is the core business 
translating, uh, really doing transcription of the audio to text, or you guys are also doing converting audio from one language to another language in audio? So we do all of it. So we, okay. we do a speech to speech, audio okay. to audio, live interpretation. So I'll talk to you in Spanish and we'll, we'll try it here in a bit. I'll talk to you in Spanish. You hear me in English. You talk to me in English. I hear you in Spanish on the fly in 152 languages in one combination. We even put that technology map. It's so magical in a phone system. I will call you while I'm walking on the streets of Shanghai in Chinese, and you will be walking in the streets of Germany in German. I will call you in Chinese. You will hear me in German. No phone, sorry, no app, no internet. Use That's a amazing. Phone, use a phone number. I will call from my 801 phone number to your 212 phone number, and it just works like magic. No, no internet, no app. Anyone can use it. HIPAA compliant, SOC 2 compliant, all security measures. It, it just works. A lot of people, man, and, and think that inclusivity, and I have, we can talk a whole show about inclusivity. Did you have race, color of skin, religion? And yes, those affect, but the number one factor of exclusion, man, that no one is talking about. It's language. Yeah, it's it's your accent, right? <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's language overall. Like the fact that you're not even speaking the, a language, that is excluding you to understand and to participate. We so I that so I, I so I think I've heard. I don't know if there's other companies that are doing this, or maybe it was you guys. It sounds like this is something you guys do. But having having essentially companies can have call center employees that work in India or whatever it is that can speak, you know, sort of okay English, but have, you know, a rough accent or whatever. And then your guys' software basically takes English to English, but without the accent. Yeah, that, that's not what we do. There's another company that focuses on that specifically. Okay. We can talk about ethics <laughs> whenever you want to, because that is, I think that touches on the ethics and personality aspect. Um, they got, anyways, it, they, um, um, that's that's not what we do. We do more of the language specific. Okay, uh, we we do it on the fl on on the fly. We process content and context okay. and sentiment analysis on the fly. That one with the accent, I think it has a, a lot of merit into it. Um, but um, but there's more that you can achieve. So how what is the delay in your guys's technology? Like, so if you're talking in Spanish or whatever, what is the delay before I hear the English? It's a one eighth of a second. Wow. That's 0 0.125. Now in the demo that I have right now, because I do the demo with a phone number, um, there's two types of interpretation. You call it consecutive or simultaneous. Uh, simultaneous interpretation, it's, you know, a word or two delay. Uh, in our case, it's not even that, it's one eighth of a second. And consecutive interpretation is you say a sentence, then the sentence gets repeated in the other language. The other person says their sentence and the sentence gets repeated in the other language. Because it's a phone system uh, and because of the user experience, um, we decided to do consecutive interpretation uh, on this demo. But okay. if you are in a live event, on our software, you will have simultaneous interpretation with 
less than half a second of delay. Well, that's amazing because, I mean, I don't know about every language in the world, but I sure know about English. Uh, a lot of times the way that you say things and the words and all that, the meaning can be totally different. So I would think you'd have to like complete sentences before you could figure out like exactly what they were, like how to translate it, you know? That's a good point. And that's kind of the beauty of uh, these, these models that we're seeing, these large language models and these predictive uh, models as well. So we put them all together and uh, their phrases like raining cats and dogs, for instance, um, that you understand. I understand what it is because of the culture and how we grow yeah, yeah. in language. But you're trying to translate that literally and it just doesn't make sense. Um, so those are that's where we take things in context. Um, for instance, we can when someone uses our technology, they know time of the day situation where people are being connected, so on and so forth. So you can almost predict, oh, they're going to say good morning instead of good afternoon. So now you're, you, you, what you want on these models, especially ours with our specific functionality, is you want to get the information and predict with high level of accuracy what is going to be said in the native language before you translate it. I love it. This, this is super, super cool. Um, I do want to take a, a moment to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use the full, Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team today. Please visit fullscale.io to learn more. So tell me, where would where would somebody like me, where would I see your technology? Where where would I use it? Is it baked into other things that I would just never know about? Or is it a consumer-facing app? Like, how, how would we actually use your technology? All the above. Um, our strategy of go-to-market, and I think this is something important that entrepreneurs need to think about, and I'm, I'm certainly, they, they do, we do, um, I do, um, is, is go-to-market technology. So, um, how do you build something at scale in what different areas and you move towards it? So our technology can be used by other developers. So we created an SDK or an API um, where any developer can just connect to our technology and in three lines of code uh, and without hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment, they can do community services through our technology um, and just implement everything. They can put it on a chat and you can write on a chat without touching anything the city will recognize the language and send it to the other person without touching anything into their native language. And they can have a conversation with two, three, four, five, ten people or more in the chat, and nobody will know that everybody else is speaking another language. Everybody will consume the language in their native language and it just happens real time. So you can do that with in three lines of code. That's kind of one area that developers can use our technology and other companies can use it behind behind the scenes, and you will never know that it's one meta. And you can do that with also a speech to speech or a speech to text or text to speech or translation. So we offer all of that. We also offer plugins to call centers, to your point. So call centers can actually connect our technology, pick up the phone, and that agent, that subject matter expert, is able to speak 152 languages on the fly. Then we have other technologies where you can go to consumer, just go to our website one meta.ai look at the different products and you can buy um, a video conferencing platform that allows you to speak in different languages on the fly in a multilingual environment someone can speak german spanish polish arabic hebrew and just 
just talk and everybody will understand each other. Yesterday, I was talking actually with a gentleman from um, from China. He lived in Palo Alto, and we're just playing around. His English was actually way better than mine, honestly. It was just fantastic. My English, I kind of struggled, so I told him, hey, you want to speak Chinese, and I'll do Spanish. And Matt, you're not going to be we'll talk for over an hour. And he's in Chinese. I speak Spanish. It was so fluid. It was it was fantastic. It was magical. It really was. And then we have other technologies on events. So you walk into a hundred thousand people's stadium, and you QR code, and you can look at the announcer of the game or the event or the uh, training in any language with subtitles on your phone, or you can put the AirPods and just listen to it. That's very cool. And That's a great I'll, use case. It, it is. It, it really is. Um, and the last one is the the phone system. You can go to our website, yeah. um, solicit a phone number. You get a phone number, and that is, you set it up, it's going to be Spanish-German or English-Japanese. And you set it up, and then you just call that number, and then call your friend who speaks Japanese and doesn't speak English, and then you just talk to the phone and the merge call, the, other, the third-party AI interpreter will just translate the whole conversation on the fly. The schools are... That's very cool. They, they love it. This cool so, there's use cases for school that is fantastic. Go ahead. So is your guys' software built into Skype or any of those kinds of things as well? That That's a good question. It, it isn't yet. It's in a roadmap. Um, sooner. Sooner rather than later. I, I will make some announcements. Some some great things will be happening fairly soon. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to be built into Google Meet or Zoom or Skype or all these sort of things would, would take a lot of value in it. So... That'd be very I cool. <laughs> so I, I, this whole time I've been sitting here wondering, I have to ask you like, so at, at any point you guys consider changing your name because of meta, because of stupid Facebook, like what, how does that, what do you guys think about that? You know, um, the, the knee was, that was interesting. Um, as we're building all of this, Matt, I realize that, um, what we can do and, I think a lot about languages and about humans and about AI. And I spend a lot of my time into it, ethics of it. And ultimately what I want to build is uh, one universe, one world. Yeah. Uh, where we all can communicate. And that's how the name came about. Okay. Meta means goal in Spanish. Okay. Um, or universe in or place to be in Latin. And that's how we came. So we spend um, a lot of resources with our with our legal team. And to be more specific, the fact that it's not at the beginning allows us to don't have a lot of conflict. We'll see. We hope that we won't have any conflict with any other company out there. Um, but that's what we study. We regulate. We look look at the risk, and things things fine up to this point. And I don't see any problem. Doesn't create any any. Uh confusion because of meta and no meta being meta themselves as long as long as we keep it all together and it's one word one meta yeah then it's it's fine um yeah but thanks thanks for actually that's a good question were you so did you guys already have the name before they changed their name no no it was after the fact i mean i already Uh, okay had it had it on my mind uh written but it was it was after the fact 
I was just curious. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good question. I'm sure I'm not the only one curious that's listening. So I have yeah, to ask. There's a lot of people that ask about that question. So let's talk about the ethics part of AI. And, you know, obviously AI is being used for a lot of different things, right? Like military related stuff, no doubt, and places like Ukraine on the battlefield, right? Um, AI can identify objects and track them and do all sorts of things. And you've got, like you mentioned earlier, uh, AI of removing people's accents. I mean, you have lots of AI stuff related to driving cars and, you know, people, you know, the classic example of this for the self-driving cars, right? Is like cars going too fast around the corner is, does it, does it kill the people walking in the street or does it kill the driver? Right? Like, but one of these days, that's like a real world scenario that will happen. Oh yeah, um, it, it, yeah, I agree with you. Um, but my question for you is, what you know, for and your, you know, you're the founder and CEO of an AI company. How do you how do you think about ethics when it comes to AI? The most important thing is to realize its place, Matt, and to realize its purpose and what it does. Um, very similar to algorithms and to behavioral or regressional algorithms. A lot of people will say that, you know, the algorithms of network effects, Instagram, Facebook, or, you know, TikTok, that those algorithms change. And a lot of, uh, I was in that world for, for many years. And as we build advertising and content, and we try to disseminate um, viral pieces of content, people will go back and say, oh, it, the, the algorithm change. What reality happened is that people change. Algorithms is an extension of human behavior because there are attacks that attach to human behavior. And when we talk about AI, I think of AI as something very, very similar. Um, and of course, there are two sides of the token. I can go on both sides, but I'm, a, I'm an optimistic, realistic towards AI. Um, and what that, what that means is that I believe the AI is, is basically a superpower. Um, I had a, we live in the space that I'm in, which is um, language understanding, including interpretation, transcription. There's a lot of human jobs that people are, I know uh, white collar families in Latin America that they, all their living comes from interpretation. Right. And I think, uh, Matt, and, I, and this keeps me up the night is, am I going to, it's my company going to take their jobs? Who's going to pay for this school, the private school of that family, of the kid of that belongs to that family? And that, because I know them, right? I, I know and it takes time and there's a time and place for everything. So a client of, of ours asked us, so your company is a huge competitor for us in our industry. And this was my answer. I said, no, we're not. Your number one competitor is your employee who owns the relationship with your clients. And if you have, if you don't have a non-circumvent or non-compete with them, they will hire our services and they will take your client. That is your number one competitor. Your second competitor is your competitor who will hire our services and will take away your clients. We are not your competitor. We are, we give superpowers. 
Now, does the world need 7 billion supermans? No, it doesn't to save the world. It needs a few supermans. And, and I think that what AI is going to do, at least in our space and probably in kind of office tasks, and there's a lot of that, is that it's going to segregate the business. It's going to disintegrate the monopolies, which is in some cases a good thing. When we talk about in the internet, we thought that the internet was going to be the greatest equalizer of, um, of income established throughout the world. And if we look at the United States, it actually created more monopolies. The internet created more monopolies in terms of socioeconomic income than than before, like we act more of the one percent, like it, it actually monopolize a lot of the resources. But when we look at the internet across the world, it actually fulfilled its purpose. It was a great equalizer. We have better economies. We have people that are increased their average income thanks to the internet. Oh yeah. So I think that the scene is going to happen with artificial intelligence, where now. You have a virtual assistant in Indonesia, and this virtual assistant is you're paying them $300 and is doing the work of one. Well, that virtual assistant now through AI is going to become a manager and is going to now to charge $1,200 because he's going to have four AI um, virtual assistants. Now that virtual human virtual assistant is becoming a manager. The question is, what's going to happen with the supervisor here in the U.S. or in first world countries that is hiring this staff outside who actually has increased their capabilities because of the superpower of AI? I believe that that individual in first world countries will now have their own company and compete with their employer. And then the monopolies will be set, this, uh, disintegrated or disseminated. That is kind of my approach uh, approach to it. So um, I think that that's, that is one way to look at the technology and how it's going to help us all. I think it's going to provide a lot more opportunities. I, I think a lot of these technologies make it so it's available for more people, right? So um, there will be more people that will be able to do translation-related things that just weren't able to do it before because they didn't have a translator, they couldn't afford to hire a translator, they couldn't do the jobs like you described. It just it makes it more easily avail you know available to a lot of people that couldn't afford it before, right? So, um, you know, obviously we have tools like other examples of this. We have tools like Photoshop, and you have somebody like Canva who creates like an easy way to edit photos and do different things. It didn't put all the graphic artists out of a job. It didn't put Photoshop out of you know out of business. It just means I can use Canva now. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. You, you said it right. When, when we think about um, the computer, the computer replaced typewriters. It did. Did some manufacturers went out of business because of the computer? So typewriting, typewriter manufacturers, they did went out of business. But if you look at the amount of authors and content creators that a computer allow, the amount of content that is now being created because of the computer. That is much more valuable for humanity and humans will, will adapt. So I think there will be some areas where the, we will adapt, but the reality is that the, the increase of, um, of content creation will, will be substantial in the years to come. Um, I think that the core is what are the ultimate objective of all of this? 
And I think that's a little bit mad where we may have it wrong in terms of are we just focused on creating quality of life and what quality of life means, or are we more focusing to bringing financial resources to the individual until they want? And that, that is where there's a shift happening to other world, especially after the pandemic, where we're focusing more on what matters the most for the individual. And we're allocating more and more time to things that matter the most. When parents um, that were at work start spending more time with their children, that's when we realize, oh, this is the whole focus of businesses and capitalism. It's so I can spend money buying ice cream to the ones that I love on a Friday afternoon or go. And, and we sometimes lose that aspect of what, what matters the most. So let me let me ask you this. So one of the other big issues with AI, especially we see this with OpenAI, is all of the sort of ethics moderation part of it that has to go into it, right? So how do you how do you guys deal with that part of it, where somebody in one language is speaking something that you know, like cussing, bad language, terrible things, whatever it is? Like, how do you guys have to deal with that part of it? Are you how do you guys translate that part of it? And deal with that? Do you guys have to? That's, that's something you have to deal with. There's a two-part answer to your question. There's one about the bad words, the translation, more about tactical aspect of it. And then you talk about moderation of the model. Yeah. So let, me, let me answer each of those. So on the first, on the first one, it's, it's called toxicity. That's kind of the AI name or language, you know, when you refer to those. And there are specific models um, where you recognize as it's being pronounced and you hash it, you change it, you provide an alert, and you can actually... Um, provide a filter to the interface. Okay. So before it gets transcribed, before it gets heard, you can actually create mechanisms to protect those environments. Now, toxicity, interesting enough, is not only about bad language in terms of a specific bad words, but it's also about the intention. So if I start saying something, even in sophisticated words, and I'm bullying you, I can catch that and I can hash it before it's the message being sent. And basically, so you have like settings to do that or not do that. Yeah, correct. And again, that is called toxicity. There is a component with kind of the same methodology that is called um, personally defined information (PII), and that if someone says you know their social security number or right. their birth, they will be cached and it will not be transcribed to protect the information through you know HIPAA compliant uh, approaches. Um, so that is that aspect. It's very tactical. We do, but some have... of that you need to translate, right? Like if I'm calling my mother-in-law in the Philippines and I'm trying to give her my social security number, or I'm cussing and I want her to hear it, like I would want it translated. Oh yeah, in those cases you can, you can turn it on or turn it off. Yeah, but a call center maybe you wouldn't, right? You're like, Correct. I don't, we don't want this. Correct. That's exactly it. You, you say it right. The other aspect and probably the most interesting aspect of your. Oh, of your question was the moderation, right? The AI level, and I want to share a couple things, and and they have to do with with the ethics of AI. Let's say um, that uh, we have um, the best couple that are you know I'm from Venezuela, so I'll talk about baseball. Um, so we have this couple that are the best baseball players in the world husband and wife, male and female, they, get, they marry and they conceive a baby. And this baby 
is set to become the best baseball player in the world. Okay. They, these parents hired the best coach in the world and trained this baby to become the best baseball player in the world. He grows and they, they put, he becomes really strong. He has all the, all the knowledge, all the training. And then they put him in an environment at the World Baseball uh, Playoff. They do the perfect environment, the perfect team, playing with the perfect um, uh, competitors, and they win the World Series. And it's because of this. And ultimately, this baseball player uh, becomes the best one in the world. And he wins a prize. Let's just say a, uh, an amount, you know, a million dollars, whatever it is. To who does it belong, the money? Does it belong to the parents who conceive the player? Does it belong to the coach who trained them? Does it belong to the environment and the competitors that allow him to become the best one? So interesting enough, the legal term is that of a, it be, the answer is easy. It belongs to the baseball player. But this biggest thing, how we build the legality and accountability and the entity of, of an intelligence, whatever that intelligence does, regardless of who created them, their parents, who taught them their coach, anything as an entity, the work that they do belongs to them. Matt, this is at the core of the dilemma with AI. If you build a model that can stand on its own and can build something and create something, does it belong to the individual organization that create the model? Does it belong to the person that trained it? Or does it belong to the environment? Because there's a, in order to come up with that output, there's tons of variables. And this is part of the ethical dilemma of like, oh, I'm building a model and does the output, as this model is creating a book, does that belong to the person that did the prompt? Does it belong to the people that build the model? Does it belong that trains it? And these are, or does it belong you know, to the source of the training? So this is part of the questions that AI, that we are as a community trying to figure it out because there's some legal aspects, as I mentioned, to what belongs to who. Does that make yes, sense? It's yes, it's usually the vendor who created the model, right? I mean, at this point, they're usually the ones that end up owning owning all of it. But that's my point. But it's is that the right thing? Because they the when they train it from uh, you know from Shakespeare or you know, they train it from a specific um, singer, their style of singing that didn't belong to the person that created the model. That belongs to that individual who actually is the source of the training. Yeah, their input, their input into it. So, so you get this, like somebody like Reddit and Wikipedia and all that, right? Complain like, oh, you took all of our content and you created this model, but it was our content, right? Yeah. And, and that's where you start getting. Yeah. That, make, that makes total sense. <laughs> well, I do want to remind everybody, if you need to hire software developers or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts when you visit FullScale.io can give us a few questions about what kind of developers you're looking for, what kind of technology skills you're looking for, and we can show you exactly what developers are available to join your team today. Um, at FullScale, we specialize in building a long-term team that works only for you. 
Uh, we do staff augmentation. I have hundreds of employees. Um, check us out at fullskill.io. Well, this has been a really fun conversation today, and I love AI. And um, it I, have you seen the movie The Creator yet? No, no, I haven't. So it came out like a couple weeks ago, and my 14-year-old son wanted to see it, so I went and saw him. But it was about how, like, basically we'd created AI, and we had, like, robots, and these AI robots, you know, eventually, like, take over the world. We get in a big fight with them, and they nuclear bomb goes off, and we're fighting with the, you know, the AI robots or whatever. It, you know, that kind of dystopian future, we're fighting yeah. AI. But it, it was it was super fascinating, and it, it does make you think about, man, where is AI going, and at what point in time are we... You know, you're building this software, right? I take this software you built and put it in a robot, and now the robot walks around my house. Like, how far away is that? <laughs> I, I don't. Th- I don't think we're that far. Um, and I think at, at the end of the day, is how do we use it as implemented? Um, it's a tool. It's an extension, and it's also the intent. Yeah. And and the question for me is, who is getting access to technology with the wrong intent? And yeah. I think that that's part of it. Um, as, as we, um, as we speak, I, you remind me of something that we haven't done and I wanted to just do, uh, a quick show off of the, of the technology. So, so I'd you, love to see a demo. Yeah. You, you can hear fairly quick and uh, our, our audience can you know, get a, a little bit of a taste of it. So, um, as we're talking, I am going to my phone. And I am calling a phone number and, uh, and I'm clicking on it and it's a, it's a demo on consecutive interpretation. Okay. Let me see. Hello and welcome to Fairburn Call. You have 90 seconds to experience our over the phone interpretation trial. English and Spanish are already set up. Please begin speaking after the tone. Excelente. Ahora estoy aquí con mi nuevo amigo. Mateo, y estamos haciendo una grabación y explicando un poco de nuestra maravillosa tecnología. Excellent. Now I'm here with my new friend Mateo, and we're making a recording and explaining a little bit of our wonderful technology. That's very cool. Here. That is, um, that, that is fantastic. And, uh, this is one of the technologies that we we have. And as we, we build this technology, something that we did, Matthew, is that um, not only we did 152 languages, but we did several um, technology advances in terms of putting more than one language on the same microphone. So we can, we can try it again, but basically I will speak Spanish or German or English on the same microphone, and I will just recognize it and translate it. Now, this is what happens behind the scenes. There's about 10,000 permutations for every millisecond as we're pronouncing the words. And we're matching the, the, the form of the wave to a phonetic dictionary in English. Right. Okay. So we're saying hello, and it's matching the word hello as it's being pronounced. Um, into that phonetic uh, pronunciation of the word English, hello. But if we add another language, it's Spanish, let's say, and we're saying hello, it's matching to two languages, two phonetic dictionaries. So it goes from 
10,000 per millisecond to 10 million per millisecond. And it grows exponentially. And we build certain technology that we can do up to five languages on the same microphone. So I could be in a panel at an event talking Spanish and I pass the microphone to someone talking in English and they pass the microphone to talking in Japanese or Italian. We, um, we've been working and, and you know, client, it's uh, the Vatican. And uh, as we're working with them, it was fascinating to give them a presentation. They were talking Arabic in French in the same environment. And uh, to see how not necessarily dilution or eliminating language barriers, which is kind of a cliche phrase, but it's more about building the bridge. And we talk about dismantling language barriers, but in reality, it's more way more than that. It's creating the bridges. We, we focus so much into the words that we forget about the intention. If you think about it, Matthew, right now, as I'm connecting with you, you're connecting with me, we're talking with our audience, we're using words as the protocol to converse. But really what we're trying to do is just, if you think about it, it's, just a, it's a way to encapsulate our thoughts and emotions. And this is what we're discovering, that our company creates a more understanding world because we're connecting thoughts and emotions from the one to thoughts and emotions from the other. And that's ultimately what AI has been helping us to do. I love it. It's awesome. Well, I, I appreciate so much having you on the, the podcast today. Um, reminder, everybody, this is Saul Leal. Uh, his, one, his company is called OneMeta. It's OneMeta.ai. Um, sounds like you've got some free, some tools or free, like a free demo thing. And, and some things are probably relatively inexpensive for consumers. And then sounds like your software is built into all sorts of other things, right? So probably a lot of different use cases for this. I want to try it and see if I can talk to my mother-in-law. I, I don't, I had to figure out if you're, if you, uh, support Sabuano, that's her language. So Ooh, we do have Sabuano. I, all right. I gotta call my, I gotta call my mother-in-law. That would be fantastic. Actually. I, I would love to. We can do that right now if you want to, uh, or maybe uh, she, she's a, she's call. asleep right now. But I I may uh, I may try this later. I'll we'll we'll have it, and you can go to our website or or we we can give you a phone number. It will be fantastic. We'd love to to hear more about that experience. You will. I've that. never I've never been able to talk to her before because she doesn't speak English. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. As as we leave, do you have any final words of wisdom or tips for other entrepreneurs out there? It could be about. AI or it could be about entrepreneurship or anything else? No, it's, um, it's focusing on what matters the most. I think that in intention really matters in life and understanding that one and, and uh, yeah, just empathy, faith, and tenacity. I like the tenacity. Me too. Thank you. Thank all you right. Now. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Success. Thank you. Thank you all. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.